Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, Artist Development, New Leonard Media. With me, as always, is the boss, Mark Wilson, President, New Leonard Media. How are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Today that I rode good. in a carpet that with some great people. That is enough of that about us. Our guest today is Sakura Takano, Chief Executive Officer at Rotary Charities of Traverse City. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. This is very exciting. In putting this together and knowing that we were going to talk to somebody with Rotary, which is kind of a ubiquitous name. I think a lot of people know what Rotary Charities are, but maybe a lot of people don't. Maybe that's a misnomer. So quite simply, if somebody just says, what does Rotary Charities do? What's the easier, complicated answer? Ooh, the easy and complicated answer. You probably know the word Rotary because in most towns in the United States, there's a Rotary Club, right? So you think about entering a club, you see the little Rotary wheel next to the Lions Club wheel, next to the Kiwanis wheel, and essentially it's a civic engagement and community service club. Now, our region has a special Rotary Club because back in the 20s and 30s, those Rotarians believed that part of their service mission was to make outdoor recreation available for young kids. So they bought a bunch of land and leased out those sites to like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and 4-H and other youth-oriented clubs and, you know, let them have that space for recreation. In the mid-70s, one of those sites happens to also be the host for the Niagara Shelf, which is a large geologic mass with oil and gas reserves underneath it. So those... Uh, they struck oil. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they pretty much struck oil. And all of the revenues from that project, if you will, is the endowment for Rotary Charities. So we were founded in 1977 after a very generous revenue sharing deal was made with the explorers. And that's how we were founded. So wow. I get to you know, be part of this legacy and hopefully do good work for the community through our funds. That's incredible. Is it a good thing to strike oil? I mean, you don't have to say numbers or anything, but is that something that people should look to do if they can? I mean, I don't know if you've got like a pickaxe and shovel. I think you can do that, but... But it's definitely worked well for Rotary Charities. It's worked out well. It's one of those things where we have to acknowledge our history and where we came from so that we can fully appreciate the gifts that are in front of us and how we can make that go forward, right? That's interesting. How much of the history today is imbued in the culture of Rotary? Is it something that's talked about with new hires or what role does that play for you today? Yeah, that's a great question. So we think of ourselves as a conduit to help good people and good nonprofits and municipalities and people who want to see a better community here help their work move forward. So oftentimes we'll have, oh, Rotary did this or Rotary did that. But like, really, we're just helping other people and other organizations do the great work. All of that happens on the ground. So we like to help as much as we can. But certainly we are not the ones on the ground and doing that work. So want to be as, as humble and as appreciative as possible right. to community partners. The for most sure. altruistic charity that there could be. Well, you know, I, we I try. said it. I said it. You don't have to. <laughs> Do you ever put yourself into the place of what it would be like running Rotary when it was founded in the 20s? Do you ever think about that? Post-World War One. Well. You've got 
the 19th Amendment ratified, giving women the right to vote. Do you ever think about that? Well, you know, fun fact was that women weren't allowed into Rotary Clubs until the 80s. Interesting. Yeah. So that would be a challenge. That would have been a challenge. That the CEO of Rotary in the 20s would have to deal with. Yeah, it would be. Do you think it would be easier in general, or would it be harder back then to have tried to push this mission forward? Every decade has presented new opportunities. So back then, Traverse City was the edge of town, was a dirt road, and it was like Peninsula Drive, from what I hear. So think about how much our community has changed in the past hundred years. Right. And the projects that we're thinking about now, I mean, what a contrast, right? So I think it's exciting that we can see so much community change happen and for more people to call this awesome place home and to raise their families and do some good. Right. When you look at the culture of an organization, I don't even love that word for what we're describing it for, but when you got to Rotary Charities, what was the culture there and what kind of unique perspectives have you brought to it in the last three years? I think my predecessors have always been community focused and asking ourselves, like, how can we help? And we ask our partners, hey, how can we help? Whether it's financial through grants through helping build learning opportunities and building leadership in the community to making those relationship connections. We really try to think of all those different tools as part of who we are. And I think that culture of like, how can we help has been a really strong theme through leadership, which is pretty exciting. And I would say that our team now, we've got a team of five program and one amazing office manager who is Managed to work for us for 35 years, whoa, and all four executive directors. <laughs> so, Holy cow. Yes, Stacy is amazing. But I would say that helping culture is now really fused with this idea of teamwork. Half of our team started during COVID, so we were a virtual team. We slacked, we used emojis, we <laughs> high-fived each other on different stickers and all that kind of stuff. And when we went back in person a couple months ago, it was just so wonderful to see each other in person, smile and say, hey, thanks. Have lunch at the conference table and those rituals of work that really help build culture. Right. Yeah. Am I getting that when you went back to somewhat normalcy, did you have to tighten things up a little bit from the slacking? Is that what I was hearing? Oh, when I say slacking, I mean like virtual chatting yeah, with yeah. people. Oh, it's, a, it's a chat app. Uh, it's a chat <laughs> app. <laughs> Thought they were wow. wow, you just revealed something about I'm yourself. I'm going to move my walker over to the side here <laughs> and uh, get that out of the way. <laughs> Hopefully this is entertaining <laughs> to listen to. Weren't we talking about TikTok songs wow. earlier? Yeah. Yeah. That I know what, what I that is. I would never throw my team under the bus and say that they were slacking, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> a good so point. Rain so slacking, you had a bunch right? of slackers. That is, that is a good point. You have, I could tell you have more decorum than that. But you mentioned staff. What other human power does it take to make this mission move forward? Whether it's volunteers, how does that work? Yeah, we do rely on volunteers. And they really help us. Like the Rotarians in our five-county area are offered. And we really love to see them show up for our grant reviews. So they help us review grant applications. Sometimes they have new relationships that they might be able to lend to applicants, and then they give us their opinions, and that goes to like our decision-making body for final approval. But another big piece of what it takes to run our little like neck of the woods is really good communications, because we want to make sure that as many organizations 
people who are on boards and people who are engaging community know that we're around in a variety of ways to help with resources, whether it's, like I said, learning, maybe connecting them to some webinars around board development or organizational development, all kinds of learning opportunities. It's like, okay, we can help connect you more directly to Mm -hmm. that. Or we host pre-grant meetings for organizations that are interested in grant funding. And they're like, well, we've never you know, written a grant before, so can you walk us through this? Right. Like, we're really a resource and a facilitator to accessing right. what we have. And we've heard this on this podcast a few times before. Grant writing is not a fly-by-night, let me just pick that up with a night annex course type yeah. of situation. You need specialists. You need people who are... It can be an art and a science, and we continuously work to reducing those barriers so that an everyday volunteer or really active and engaged board member can step into that process. And we're definitely seeing more and more of that now, which is awesome. That's great. You have a bachelor's in finance and economics from Boston College, an MBA in social enterprise from Columbia Business School. And looking at that, you kind of seem perfectly poised for this role. But given your time in this role, would you look back on your academic pursuits a little differently? Would you have done anything differently? Oh, wow. You Googled me, didn't you? So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like when you build experience over time, it's a matter of like how you can bring that to the current situation and the current phase in life you're in, if you will. So those early days of working in banking were very long. I mean, sometimes I would sleep under my desk (laughs) and, you know, have like three meals at a desk. You know, it was a pretty like intense, intense lifestyle. But I learned so much. I learned about organizational culture and behavior, what I liked, what I didn't like. I learned a lot about Excel and presentation skills, talking to clients. And so I would not give any of those things that I learned up. But I knew when I was ready to move on. Right. Is there something in there that you would say to a younger person starting out today to develop, a skill to develop, to focus? Because you talked about a few things, presentation skills, even Excel, that I think a lot of people look for flashier things to focus on. But is there anything like that that you would say, all these things are good, but definitely focus on the smaller thing? I think those technical skills have been very helpful to me over time. But I think understanding like your personal work ethic and how you want to live in different phases, because sometimes sacrifices, like I mentioned, working so many hours... That was just my life then, right? I didn't really have much to compare it to until I realized I was like, oh, I'm getting tired. I'm getting burnt out. And then you can go and launch into do something else. But I think fully exploring a skill set when you're young is really helpful because when you mature into your career, it gives you like a lot of options, right? Sure. You can apply all those skills to lots of different fields. Wow. What was the social enterprise club like? The social enterprise club? Yeah, what was that? Well, we were like the misfits of the business school. Everyone who was trying to go into banking or consulting or, you know, work for big companies were like, what are you guys doing here? Shouldn't you be over like, you know, at like the public policy school? Or we were kind of this like band of do-gooders, essentially is what they called us, that were in the business school interested in nonprofit consulting or working with microenterprise in developing nations. I mean, all of these idiosyncratic specialties. And it was an awesome learning space because I got to travel and I got to do cool consulting projects in like India and Cambodia. 
And is then, that why you were the, you know, maybe ostracized bad men and women of that particular <laughs> school because you're a nonprofit or third world countries, they're all looking at the big dollars and you're going for the tougher stuff. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that. I love that. That's great. <laughs> and you talked about those times of long, long hours and sleeping under your desk. Obviously, there were some skills to be learned both professionally and personally, but that took you to some place kind of unique, the Rockefeller Foundation. Right. Sometimes it's good just to be lucky and not smart because that was pure luck. I was just scrolling on the school's job board. And at that point, I had not really known that much about philanthropy or what this whole thing about giving was. And I hopped upon this job and I was like, oh, this is something I can do while I'm in school and work part-time for this whoa, okay, huge foundation. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. But wow. don't they say luck is when preparation meets opportunity? Well, you said that. Well, we mean, could say that. We're saying that officially. We're saying it. You're saying that. Okay, well, That's true. So She's I, underselling I it, it, but I it's still I seized that opportunity. How about that, Mark? Does yeah, that feel well, better? Yeah, you did. You, you were prepared. <laughs> opportunity presented itself. That's it, true. You if you, had you not been prepared, I don't think so, they would have taken you. Yeah. Okay. So all right. Wasn't just lucky. You, that, that's you were a name that's got a lot of heft behind it. They're not just willy nilly. But you grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii, correct? That's correct. <laughs> that is great. And your parents were two individuals who immigrated to the United States, and your mom was a big influence in your life. Is that correct? Yep. She was. She was. She still is. She still is. And work ethic. That's something that she instilled in you, is that correct? Yes, both my parents. Well, first of all, they were immigrants. My dad from Japan, my mom from Taiwan, and they met in Hawaii. And when you're starting out and you've got to eat what you kill, you work a lot, right? So that's been a journey for me to really kind of hone in, like, well, what I want that to look like right. in my life over time, especially when you have kids and you have other priorities and you want to live as balanced of a life as possible. Right. I've learned that lesson over time. And so has she, which has been just really wonderful. So my mom, who was all about working, saving, working, saving, mm -hmm. we never left a scrap of food on our plate. We never got soda or chips. It was like three meals and they were cooked at home and we were the kids with the stinky lunch at school. <laughs> <laughs> I can identify with that. Yeah. I can identify yeah. with that. And at one point, she company. had four jobs. She came to this country at 18 and made her way. Was that something that it took you a while to recognize and respect? Or as you were growing up, did you see her as like, this is a strong woman and I should follow her teaching? Well, she was a strong woman. She was very direct. So that is, like I said, evolved over time. Because when you're young and you're a kid, you're like, just... Give me some space and let me figure out my own thing. So that's been a journey. And I think what is so fun about it is that as she sees me as an adult more than as a child and sees my kids and how we're all interacting together, she's like, oh, it looks so interesting to have build time in to hang out with your family and to like have friends. You have time for your friends? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, that must be nice. I'm like, yeah, mom, it's awesome. So novel like, concept to her. Yeah, it's a novel concept, but she's observing it and she's learning from it and she's taking on new hobbies. And it's really cool to see her kind of like let go a little bit and enjoy life, which is pretty special. Well, it, that sounds a little full circle. She's taken some guidance from you. I don't know if she'll agree to that. <laughs> she would. But, but, but you could have said, 
Well, you'll also notice I have time for you as well. Oh, uh, hey, I'm going to yeah. use that next time. Yeah. Just given all yeah, the tidbits That, that one's today. free. Right. <laughs> In your opinion, what is the biggest difference between charity and change making? Oof, huge difference. Our name has been around since our inception, but I have been thinking about that. Like, there is a huge difference between charity, which kind of implies a sense of power, right? Being charitable is one spot giving to another. And I think change making is a much more community and like holistic view of how communities change. Communities change and shift because the people who live there have more voice and more power to do so. And they have the avenues to access that change, which is really special. And we hope to do more and more in that vein and support more of that community led action. Wow. Have you been posed that question before? No, but I've been thinking about it. That was a really it. good, you did, you did start by saying that. I'll write it down. In a uh, 2021 Council of Michigan Foundations article, there's a question posed, which I thought was kind of interesting, quote, why are we not making more progress on our toughest problems? Is that constantly a pertinent question or is that a question that just kind of spinning wheels? Is it too big a question? Mm. Well, I think when we look at problems as outside of our world and outside of our immediate lives then it can spin forever. But I think the important part is people have to feel a sense of community and a sense of belonging so that they want to take action for change. Right. Creating conditions for change is so important. And that gets to like the very beginning, right? Sense of belonging that feels so luxurious, but it's not. Food, shelter, housing, those are necessities, but a sense of belonging is also a necessity. So if we can get more people to feel like they belong, the more they're going to participate. Right. I don't think I've ever heard that framed in those terms. But as you say it, it resonates very significantly as a necessity or need to belong, which is amazing. Also in that article, you talk about in your industry specifically focusing on things you can change. And for you as the CEO of this organization, can you speak to that? Because I feel like that must be hard because inherently in what you do, you just said you are here to help everybody. So how do you figure out how you can control what you can change? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's kind of like the change maker part, right? Helping communities develop the capacity in people so that it's not one person or one organization or one institution carrying the load for everyone. It's important that you can see yourself in the work. And that's the whole, like, what's the idiom about the tide and the ships? As the tide rises, we yes. all rise. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that's it, but we you can go with that, that today. We're well, just making think... all sorts of firsts on the pursuit of today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, the idea is lifting together. Right. And I think that it's hard to do. That's a very aspirational goal to have. And in my world of philanthropy, a lot of foundations and funders are thinking about this very question. We can't be all things to everyone. So how can we help focus so that we're efficiently and effectively supporting levers of change? And that's the thing is how do we use leverage and levers of change to right. make good stuff happen? Is that kind of a day-to-day -day focus for you? Again, controlling the things you can change because with such heady matters and such big issues that you tackle, is that something that's important to you to instill in your team as well and monitor that each day so everybody doesn't get frustrated? Yeah, that's a great question. I should check in because we probably don't check in enough, right? I think 
Well, Maybe we made it clear they're, they're not slacking. They're, they're not slacking. slacking. <laughs> they're so not, that's good. They're not slacking. But I think because we talk to so many different types of organizations, to make sure that we do have that prioritizing in our heads, right? right. How can we be most helpful? Right. I think that that's an inherent question that our staff always focuses on. We have a set of guiding principles that help us understand where can we best fit in here. And when it comes to those complex problems, housing, childcare, I mean, we know that these are big, hairy issues mm -hmm. in our community. It would be foolish for us to think that we're going to solve either of those problems. But we know who key players can be to help amplify, not just talking about the problem, but like, let's talk about solutions. How can we get small groups together to build on a set of solutions to kind of like chip away at this thing, right? Right. And at different levels, too. So we've got people who are policy wonks, who are like helping to craft good policy to help rural communities in these issue areas. We've got community activists that are asking friends and family, hey, do you want to open a daycare? Or like, what would it take right. to get you to open a daycare? Exactly. Or to help make moves to reasonably increase capacities and yeah. do things like that to support those initiatives. But that is true. I met a new business person to the community and he's been here a little while and said, still hasn't found a place to deliver childcare. So that is still a very prevalent issue. In 2018, you reimagined your vision and mission statement. And I want to read the vision statement from the website. We envision communities that are adaptive and thriving for everyone. You and like that's it? great. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's succinct. Was that a big change? We continue to learn, but we have learned a lot from our pandemic time, right? And we want thriving and resilient communities as well, which is part of our old mission statement. But one of the things that floated to the top that we saw across the board was the ability and willingness to be adaptive helps us create newer and better conditions. Right. So we saw nonprofits really, they're already doing the hard work, right? We saw them adapt either with how they manage their own staff or how they provide services, how they're engaging community. All those things help for longevity, right? And sustainability. Right. So that word floated all the way to the top. We still want to help communities be resilient and thriving, but we do think that being adaptive leads to those outcomes. Right. Yeah. Well, adaptive, I love as a term, and I think that's something that definitely was birthed from PT, pandemic times. PT. <laughs> but when you think about another word that I think is not necessarily synonymous, but innovation, is innovation inherent in change making, or is it hard sometimes to innovate within the scope of what you're doing? It is very hard because when you're already riding the bike and you're also cleaning the bike and making sure none of the bike parts are falling off and then to have to think about well what would a new bike look like <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> yeah, what right. folks in the nonprofit sector have to they're already going on all cylinders right so i think innovation can be challenging but i think one glimmer of hope for me is that if we can help create the space for people to dream and to think for a different day instead of maintaining the current day how awesome could things be, right? Yeah. I'm not going to say we have created that yet, but that's definitely intention that I have to help make some of that space so that people can dream for future. 
Right. From the website, your impact areas are listed as community assets, systems change, and leadership for change. What I, I think is really definitely all-encompassing based on our conversation so far. But if I can get a little more granular for something that you do that I thought was interesting and worth discussion, what is meant by focusing on the inclusion of neurodiverse people in the workforce? And how can Traverse City benefit from that focus? Yeah. One of the things that we have is a leadership learning lab. And it's bringing leaders from most of the nonprofit sector, but we also have governmental and sometimes for-profit leaders who come together in a year-long cohort program. And what the goal is, is to, first of all, create community, right, cross-competent communities of leaders who are growing up into these new responsibilities and roles together. And it's not about one form of leadership training This is really focused on helping people understand their leadership styles and how that interacts with the people that they work with in community and how it's all dynamic. There's not like one perfect leader. (laughs) Some people may disagree. There are many kinds of leaders with many styles. (laughs) And really what we focus on is how do you essentially, you know, understand how to engage with lots of different kinds of people. Sure. Because that's a more sustainable model, probably. But that's our hypothesis. We don't really know what we hope. Right. Well, it doesn't sound like a terrible thing. Hopefully nobody listening disagrees. Looking at how large Rotary Charities are, it's a worldwide organization, correct? Actually, we're five county. But Rotary International. But Rotary International. So tied to how influenced are you by national events? And If so, how do you bring that into the fold for Rotary Charities here in Traverse City? Yeah, you ask good questions. Thanks, we try. So I'm a second-generation Rotarian. My dad was a Rotarian. He had this cool white hat with the Rotary wheel embroidered on the front. And I forever had no idea what it was. So how (laughs) serendipitous... That it's such a big part of my life. That's an image from your father who I understand, and I'm sorry to hear that you lost early in life. That's an image that was associated with him? It's seared in my head. Yes, absolutely. You know, you never know when things come back around, but when I came to this community 10 years ago, I was invited to a Rotary Club meeting. I'm like, oh, this is so familiar. Why do I know this? And then it just popped into my head. And so I knew that this was going to be part of my life. And I was able to attend a Rotary District Conference, which is kind of like a regional group of Rotarians. And what I loved so much about that was that common thread of we want to help community Mm -hmm. and do that through community service and fellowship. So when I think about those values, I'm like, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be part of community? Who doesn't want to have fellowship? It really frees me in a way to feel secure that those are values that I can carry forward with me wherever I go. And, you know, when we think about how do national level issues like racial justice translate to our region, it oftentimes is just so puzzling, right? Because we see our community and the demographics speak for themselves that it's a fairly homogenous community Mm -hmm. by race. But like, what does that really mean? Because we all have our story We all either grew up on one side of the track or the other. So there is some shared experience that I think we really have undervalued or not yet had the bravery to, like, bring forward. Right. 
Is it hard to communicate a new concept or if you want to bring something in, what's the key to delivering it to your team, your organization and getting everybody on board with you? We talk. We share ideas. We come to the table with openness. I mean, that is, I think, one of the greatest things about our current team is if we need extra help, we're like, hey, I need a hand here. Or, oh, I came across this idea in community. Like, what do you guys think about it? I think creating that culture of openness is so important because people can ask for help and people are very willing to give help. Right. I want to present a hypothetical to you. And you're not held to this at all, but I think it may be an interesting discourse if for some reason, all things being equal, it came down and you were told you need to just focus on one thing, one issue, for whatever reason, what would that be? One issue. All the oil's gone now and we just have the resources for one thing that we can move forward on. Would that be an easy answer for you to come up with on behalf of Rotary? No, it's not, because I think one of the things that we've learned, which is why we are not an issue-focused organization, is because life is interconnected. Housing, childcare, workforce, those things don't exist without each other. Right. So I think there's definitely a danger of picking the one. Mm-hmm. If I really, really had to pick, oh, man. Would equity be at the top in all forms? The word equity... What it means to me is a little more broad because I'll go back to that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. The word equity has to exist because there's a great sense of not belonging and not being accepted. Right. Why is it important to you to bring non-conventional minds together? Oh, because that's when the good stuff happens. The good stuff. That's when the good stuff happens. When you can create a space that people from different perspectives and experiences can come to the table and feel both safe and brave to speak up and feel that they're not going to be judged or dismissed. And then you can come up with wonderful, great ideas because every person brings something new to the table. Right. They also might have a resource that they don't even think of as a resource. And it needs to be drawn out like, oh, wait, you know what? Oh, I can do that or I can make that happen. But if you're not part of the discussion, if you're not asked about it, it's yeah. really hard to uncover those hidden resources. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of leaders don't consider themselves leaders and they don't think of themselves in that manner. But then if you sit and talk with somebody, you start pulling that out of them. You realize all the interconnectivity mm-hmm. and the knowledge that they hold. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. From the Fulfillment podcast, there was a great story that you told about you were slinging Wall Street bonds from a desk in New York and you've traveled internationally. I'm sure those things are called upon in your day-to-day role now, which I'm sure you appreciate, but you talk about getting to a point where you became disconnected either with or from work. What are the keys to recognizing that for anybody who may be facing the same thing, maybe not necessarily at your level, but just are there signs and should you always act on that? That's a great question. So if I went back to my earlier self and think back to what were those signs, I think one good quick check is when you look at the people around you and what they value in their life, it's often related to the culture of the organization, right? It attracts similar types of people Mm -hmm. who want to do similar things. So when I did that, I was like, hmm, no. 
I don't think I want to do those things. Battle it out in a big city over private school applications and that whole kind of gamut of life, the golden handcuffs, if you will. And it just wasn't for me. But, you know, I have a number of friends who have corporate lives and it's busy and it's different. And that's great, too. Yeah. Later in your life and career, your mom said something pretty important to you, which is, I just want you to be happy. So you had this motivating mentor in a way or leader in a mom who motivated you. And when she said that, you said that it felt like a pressure valve was released for you. Right. But was there a part of you that wanted to say, like, why didn't you say that before? Why did you wait till now? <laughs> Because well, it seems very she... <laughs> well-timed. It does for the story. But was that an important trajectory for you? Well, like I said, we're all still learning, right? And so I don't think my mom really came to that realization for quite some time because she was extremely proud of me having this fancy banker life. And yeah, I don't think she came to that till a little bit later. Hashtag bank life. Is that a thing? <laughs> you... Uh, we're quoted as saying in that previous article that it's important to allow yourself to experience joy and curiosity as a leader. Mm -hmm. Can you expound on that? Oh, man. How do we not do that? Because when you don't allow joy and curiosity, I mean, we're just making the widgets. We're just making <laughs> widgets. Just making the widgets. <laughs> That's great. That is true. Yeah, it's hard to do. You can't knock it a line and be like, oh, it's all like puppies and rainbows. But I think if you can create time, whether it's just a moment of appreciation for the spring bloom or whatever it is, I think we have to get out of our everyday selves to like really bring our best to the table. Absolutely. You said, and I wonder if this is still true, that the hardest thing you've ever done, and I've lived here, so I can empathize, but was being in San Francisco with a newborn. Mm. Is that still true? Mm -hmm. Hardest thing you've ever done? You read all the baby books of, oh, your baby's a peanut and your baby's a marshmallow and your baby's a pineapple. I did not read a single book about what you do after your baby comes home. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a lot of trial by fire. And because mm -hmm. my mom was so work oriented, mm -hmm. when she came to visit when my daughter was born and she was watching me change diapers and burp and do all the things that basically happen on like a two or three hour cycle with a newborn. She just looked at me and she goes, wow, that looks so hard. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it is hard. Yeah. And then she like walked away to go watch television. Uh -huh. In the way only a mom in that moment it. can do it. Like, I, I, I that know. looks real hard, Pat. <laughs> Pat. We forget quick as the kids get old and yeah. then you go back and you see somebody else. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I've had baby fever before. And then another friend has a child and like, oh. That's what that oh, was like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have a great quote, and I've quoted you to yourself a few times. It's another accolade for you. You're very quotable. And I like this one a lot. A quote, keep the window to the world open because creating that space is necessary to facing the tough challenges in front of us. Is that I kinda, said that? You did. Wow, okay. People don't get to see that she just you know sat what? up a little I, straighter. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. We're going to do that again. Keep the window to the world open because creating that space is necessary to facing the tough challenges in front of us. And I feel that it's similar to your philosophy on allowing yourself as a leader to experience joy and curiosity. But what does it mean to keep the window to the world open? Mm. 
I think people can rack up accomplishments over a lifetime, right? And oftentimes when we're done with the career or when we're passed on, people want to talk about all the great things that you did. But those are kind of, you know, finite items, right? What is really like the value of a human life? Accomplishments are wonderful, but we are also all humans. And whether or not you have one or 10 or none or a thousand, we're still all humans. So I think that really, for me, speaks to let's remember that we are humans and that there are a lot of us and we're better in community and together than like keeping our heads down and just focusing on our own stuff. Right. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't prepared for that as an answer. Show's over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can literally drop the mic at this point in time. And finally, maybe my most hard-hitting question, the most hard-hitting question we have for you is, are you still really amazing at Windexing the bottom two feet of a window? Well, ask Mark because I Windex my car windows today because I had puppy nose prints all over them and we had to carpool to an event. Did the mm-hmm. windows look clean? It was clean. See, he didn't notice. I got I got in one of those cars where he's like, ah, oh, yeah, it's, it's messy. I got to get it detailed. I got in. I was like, well, she's never riding with me. <laughs> <laughs> she's never in my Everybody's car. harder on themselves a little yeah, bit, yeah, I yeah. think. So that was a skill that was developed from your time uh, at a resort yes. under your mom's tutelage. And at I the, think that's great. Right. At the unofficial Maki's Swimwear Store daycare. Amazing. The resort daycare. And so the windows at Rotary Charities, do you have an unreasonable expectation for cleanliness at this point? Or? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, <laughs> the folks at Grand Traverse Commons take care of us. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, the windows are always clean. That's amazing. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners at all as it relates to yourself or Rotary? Oh, man. Check our website out. Yeah, we're going to go there, uh, rotarycharities.org, correct? Yes, that's right, rotarycharities.org. Whether or not you are new to town or old to town, a longtime resident, you know, there are so many opportunities to engage in community, and it's a good place to get started, to look for resources, and get engaged. Is that the place that anybody can support or even donate? Oh, we don't take donations. All right. Give them to the nonprofits. That is true. But uh, support, any kind of volunteer opportunities would be found on the website as well, correct? Yes, volunteer. And also, if you're interested in volunteering generally in the community, United Way has an awesome volunteer portal. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, Sakura, thank you so much for your pursuits and to all of those who pursue along with you, ensuring that we are addressing and putting forth solutions to our region's complex problems and creating community assets for all. I love that. And to our listeners, thank you all for listening and thank you for pursuing the positive. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us again for one more episode on the Pursuit of Podcast, the Pursuit of Rotary Charities of Traverse City. We want to thank Sakura Tucano for coming in and speaking on behalf of the Rotary. And for more information and to get involved, visit rotarycharities.org. Find out about funding opportunities, learning experiences, and overall community connection. And as always, for all things audio and video podcasting, check us out at newleonard.com.